For those of you that know, we just moved here from New York, which has been an incredible six weeks of transition. It's only been like four weeks, but the moving process started six weeks ago. And so we just moved into our house this past Saturday, and it's been crazy. And um, so Pastor Zach was talking about his handheld mic, and I have his mic, and I know why, because he can go like this, so you can do whatever you want to. This thing's not going anywhere. And I know he's like ADD, so he runs everywhere. Like, ah, it's not going to go anywhere. I like it. So it's been just an incredible six weeks, really six months, the decision to move to North Carolina. And all I can say is that it is God's will for my wife, for myself, and my family to be here. We did not leave a bad situation in New York. In fact, we were in a very healthy, awesome place. I was the executive pastor of a church in New York, and um, we had eight pastors on staff, and so my role was really managing and overseeing the other seven pastors, and the lead pastor who I reported to, I carried out his vision. And so we were in a very healthy, awesome church that we loved. My wife had a job there that she absolutely loved. We were doing very well. And there was no reason for us to move but God. And sometimes it creates an uncertainty about your decisions. Has anyone ever been there before? Like, God, I just want to do the right thing. God, I, I want to do your will. I want to do the right thing, but I need you to tell me what your will is. Have you ever been there before? And we really struggled with what God's will for our lives was because we were comfortable. We were content. We were happy. We were taken care of. We, were not, we weren't running away from anything. We were stable. My family was taken care of. And as a father, as a husband, that's my, one of my main concern is how do I take care of my family? How am I taking care of my family? And it was really difficult to come to a place of understanding God's will and making the decision to move because we were happy. And I remember my wife and I would just pray constantly, God, we just want to do what you want us to do. We want to be in your will. How could your will be leaving this comfortable place? How could your will be leaving a place that we are content and happy? We're our children are being taken care of. Our children are happy. We have a support system. And God continued to work on our heart, almost so that we just had to come to a decision to make. Pastor Zach prayed for a long time for us to come here. A long time, long time. But this time was different. This time God started to stir our hearts to where we couldn't come to the decision without having the peace of God. And the moment that we decided that we were going to move, we felt the overwhelming peace of God on our lives. The overwhelming sense of, I'm going to take care of you. You might not see what the future holds for your life, but I'm going to take care of you and your family. And let me tell you, the second we made that decision, all the pieces started coming into place. I don't know about you, but the housing market in North Carolina is crazy. One of my main concerns, where are we going to live? We can't live anywhere. It's, it's crazy. So we sold our house in two days. We got into a contract with a house in Concord, and that fell through, okay? That fell through. I was like, God, what's going to happen? That morning, the contract fell through. That evening, a realtor called us and said, hey, I have a, I have a seller that hasn't put their house on the market yet, and we're interested. Do you want to make an offer on this house before it goes on the market? What, who, what, how does that happen? But God. So we walked through a season of uncertainty 
not understanding all of the details, but entrusting in God that those details would fall into place. And so we're going to read a passage of scripture in Numbers 20, and it's, a, it's about the Israelites wandering around in the desert for 40 years with a lot of uncertainty. There was uncertainty. They were promised the promised land. They were promised they were going to a land full of milk and honey. We'll get into that in a second. But they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, and in Numbers 20, it ends the time that they were wandering, aimlessly walking in the desert, and it began the time that they are marching towards a destination. They are wandering uncertain, but in Numbers 20, an event happened, and that marks a, a moment in time where they started marching towards the destination of the promised land. You see, the chapters between Numbers 14 and 20 deal with 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, essentially summing up a 40 years of wandering if you walked in a straight line for 40 years, you would get to the destination you're trying to go to. So it had to be purposefully wandering for 40 years in this very small location in the Middle East and Israel in a desert. And so they were out there just walking around mindlessly, aimlessly, because God ordained that to happen. God had a purpose for them to wander around for 40 years in the desert. We can talk about the Israelites being God's people, but... That didn't amount to much when is the Israelites were out of God's will. And many times throughout Scripture, you, call, you saw the Israelites were out of God's will. They rebelled against God. And there are real consequences of that rebellion. That's still true today. It's also true for you and me. We don't amount to very much when we are out of God's will. We could have stayed in New York, and we could have tried to be happy, but I think the stirring of God's in our heart would have caused us to be uncomfortable our comfortable situation would have turned uncomfortable because we would have been out of God's will. That's true for all of us. We don't amount to very much when we're out of God's will. We need to understand that the power of the Holy Spirit works in and through us, and sometimes we are stuck aimlessly wandering through life without a destination, almost like we're wasting time. But Scripture points us in a direction if we listen to Scripture, if we read the Bible and apply it to our lives. If we have a relationship with Jesus, there are uncertain times in life. That's just life. But the solid foundation of Jesus that guides us, that gives us the comfort of being in his will, will give you a security that you can't explain to anyone else. It's a peace above all understanding. You know what I'm talking about? That peace above all understanding, that peace of God that you know you are in the right place even though other things don't make sense. It's the peace above all understanding. So if you hear this morning and you're trying to figure out What's your purpose in life? Why are you wandering around aimlessly in a desert figuratively in your life? Why are you wasting your time? Pay attention to this story about Moses. So we're going to read from Numbers 20. And it's actually about Moses striking a rock and water comes out. This is the second time. The first time Moses was asked to strike a rock in Exodus and water came forth. This is the second instance in which Moses was asked to bring forth water out of a rock. And so verse 1 through 5, it reads, In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and then they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? 
It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink. Now you see, before the Israelites were prophesied, they were told they're going to the promised land, which is full of milk and honey. Have you ever heard that phrase before, milk and honey? Essentially, when I think of milk and honey, I think of Honey Nut Cheerios. The Honey Nut Cheerios poured into milk. It's like milk and honey together. Or I have a big picture in my mind of like what milk flowing, flowing milk, like a river of milk. Just, it's just a weird statement. But the reality is milk and honey talks about the cultivation of the land. And so the honey actually speaks to the dates. So date trees, they create honey out of dates. And so it speaks to, in Israel, the promised land, to a place where they could cultivate agriculture. They could plant crops and crops would, crops would grow. And the milk part means that they would have the opportunity to grow and multiply their livestock of which they would get milk from. And so the land of opportunity flowing of milk and honey means agriculture, opportunity to plant and grow food, as well as for your, your um, for your animals to multiply. So they were essentially promised this in the promised land, but where were they living now? In the desert. Yeah. Yeah. There's no opportunity for milk or honey in the desert. There is no opportunity to grow your own plants. There is no opportunity for your livestock to multiply. You were completely dependent on God's provision on a day-to-day basis. And it was all about God's timing. The Israelites, they were desperate for two reasons. They were wandering around the desert aimlessly for 40 years, which is a generational thing. If you understand the generations, you understand that they were led out of Egypt, and many of the people who were led out of Egypt died in the desert and did not see the fulfillment of the promised land, which meant it was the next generation that really saw the promised land. It's God's timing. Some of us are pouring into the next generation. And we won't see the promises of God for the multiplied church or, the, or, or other promises that we have in our, our lives, but we are pouring into the next generation to see them get into the promises of God. And secondly, the Israelites were desperate because they were thirsty. It's a desert. They were thirsty, a very real practical need. I would say those are legitimate reasons that they would have doubt in God and be frustrated. But what's really being called into question is God's timing. Why are we here? They're asking, if we are to die here because we have no food or water, why didn't God just kill us before with their brothers before this time of aimlessly walking? Why did we have to go through this misery? Why couldn't God just take us out of our misery before we experienced the misery? And two, if we're going to die and God is going to, if we aren't going to die and God is going to bring us to the promised land, why aren't our practical needs right now being fulfilled? I want to tell you today that there's value in the struggle. Your faith grows when you struggle. I hate to tell you that, but we're going to face struggle in our lives. Every struggle is an opportunity to have a perspective of rejoicing in God, knowing that he will take care of you even though you are struggling. The Israelites had a choice. They could trust that God was going to deliver them into his promise that he made 40 years ago and and continue to provide for them, or they could cry out in doubt and fear and cause problems for their leadership. I don't know about you, but when something scares me, I pray a little bit more and I pray a little bit harder. So last night, 
This is a funny story. Last night, Pastor Zach, myself, and Josh, <laughs> we started, we, we went kayaking on Lake Davidson. That's where it was, Lake Davidson, around 7 o'clock last night. It was beautiful, very calm. The sun was shining. So we, we go out on the water, and we get at, about as far as, as away from the shore as we could. It was about at least a 30-minute row away from the shore. And uh, Zach has a fishing pole he's casting, and all of a sudden we see dark clouds, really dark clouds. And uh, Josh and I turned around, and we started rowing our way back. Zach's still fishing. We, like, <laughs> like, we look back, and there was a bolt of lightning that scared us, like really scared us. And the wind started whipping. And so we are you know, 30 minutes away from shore. There's a little island that was close by to us. And so we're going by this island, and the storm's picking up, and there's, there's lightning happening behind us. And so we get to the shore, and we're like, we can, I think we can make it back. And so we get to the shore. We made a decision to get back into the water to go forward. And the second that Josh stepped into the water, there was a lightning strike behind us and in front of us. And it was like lightning, one, two, three, boom, like within five miles. And we were like, nope. So we got out of the water. We made a little shelter with the kayaks, and, and uh, we sat under it while the storm passed us. But while I was in the water after the first lightning strike, like paddling my little heart out, like, oh, gosh, I started praying, like, Jesus, help us not get struck by lightning on the water. Please, Jesus, please help us not die on this water. I just moved here. <laughs> I just got here. Jesus. And when something scares you, you rely a little bit more on God. You pray a little harder to God. You cry out to God a little bit more. And the Israelites, what they lost sight of was God's short-term provisions helped them to get to his long-term promise. They forgot that God was providing for them in the short term. It was hard. It was a struggle. Those short-term provisions wasn't an abundance of provision. It was just enough to get them provided for and to live and to continue, continue moving. It was just enough. Some of us are living in a moment and place where God is providing just enough. Some of you wake up in the morning and you have just enough strength to get up, have a good attitude, and go to work. Some of us are just relying on God for just enough to survive the day. The Israelites knew God promised the promised land, but they got caught up in the logistics of God's day-to-day -day provisions. And they started to complain. They started to make problems. They started to cry out to the leadership. They started to stress Moses out because they didn't rely on the day-to-day -day provisions. Remind yourself of God's provisions in your life. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves to change our attitudes. We have to remind ourselves the blessings of God. We have to count our blessings and rejoice in the fact that we are living, we're breathing, God's taking care of us. We live in this country of freedom, 4th of July. We have the freedom to come to church. We have the freedom to worship God. We live in this land of opportunity where you get to choose what you want to do, who you want to worship. You have the freedom. Sometimes we got to remind ourselves of the freedoms and the liberties that we have. There is value in a struggle. Yeah. How many of you work out in here? 
There's the CrossFitters, the gym owners, the people, you know. I can tell the first time I walked into this church, there are a lot of fit people in this church. Well, you know, working out, time under tension, right? Your muscles have to have time under tension to build, to fatigue, to grow themselves. Sometimes we have to look at the trials in our life as time under tension because it's growing our faith, the trust in our Savior, the trust in the Lord. Time under tension grows. Our faith sometimes needs to be stretched to grow. Sometimes we need to trust in God a little bit more than what, we're, what we are doing at the moment. We need to understand that everything happens for a reason, and nothing catches God by surprise. Come on. It's not like, so when we pray, sometimes we pray that we're informing God. Like, God, I don't know if you know what's happening, but this is happening. We're not informing God of what's happening. God already knows. He's not surprised. We pray because it builds our faith as we trust in him. We're communicating to the Savior. We're communicating to him saying, I know you know what's happening, but I need you to work on my heart to trust in you because I know all things will come and you're in control. And I trust in you. There's value in not knowing the exact timing of God's plan because if we knew the exact timing of God's plan, we would start trusting ourselves more than trusting God. The value is not knowing, trusting in him, going through the struggle and knowing that our faith is being grown through the time of waiting. Proverbs 69 says, a man's mind plays his way, but the Lord directs his steps and makes them sure. Four chapters later in Proverbs 20, it says, man's steps are ordered by the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? So when God directs our path, sometimes he leads us in a way that does not make sense to us. And it's really hard to trust God when things don't make sense. We try to reason everything out. When we experience the struggle, the confusion, the misery, the pain, we try to reason our way out of it. And sometimes we don't understand what God is doing, but God does have a plan. And oftentimes when we pray and we don't see what's happening, we don't see what we want happening when we pray, God is working on the other side of things. So maybe you're a parent of a prodigal and you don't see your son, your daughter coming back to Jesus, but you don't know the relationships they have with other people that are speaking into their lives. You don't see the other side of situations. Maybe you're searching for another job or a different career opportunity, and you don't know what is on the horizon and what God is working on the other side. You see, Proverbs 3, 5 says, lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge him, and he will direct and make straight and plain your paths. This sounds so simple, but it's so difficult when things don't make sense. It's so hard. A lot of us have control issues. It's okay. It's okay to admit you want to control the situation. You want to control your spouse. You want to control your kids, what they say, how they act. You want to control your career. You want to control everything. And when you can't control everything, you build up anxiety because you're out of control. It makes you anxious. It makes you fearful. It makes you scared. If you, if you let control into your life at a level that is unhealthy, then it becomes an idol where you start worshiping your control over you, worshiping God controlling everything. 
So when you want to control everything and you're overly anxious because you can't control everything, you need to put that in check and know that God has everything in control and you're just following God and releasing that to him. It's such a freeing act, releasing control to God, knowing that he has everything under control and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about every single detail. You have to worry about your worship to God. You have to worry about your idols in your life, laying them down before God so that he can take care of you. He's not asking for you to take care of yourself. When you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're saying, Lord, I refuse to worship myself and I'm choosing to worship you. It's a choice. Control is a choice. I release control. And that's what the Israelites are battling. They're battling this this control of, okay, We've obviously been wandering around in a circle for 40 years. We should have been able to reach our destination in 40 years of walking. Can we take control of the situation, Moses? Can you just lead us to the promised land? I'm pretty sure you, you can figure out how to get there. Why are we still walking in a circle in a desert? They want to control the situation and they start complaining because their needs are not being met. You see, Psalm 31 says, I trusted in, relied on, and was confident in you, O Lord. I said, you are my God. My times are in your hands. My times are in, that means your life. Your timeline of your life is in his hands. So if you're frustrated when you're crying out, when God, why God? You need to understand that God's timing is often a mystery. Don't stop trying to figure out God. Stop trying to figure out God's timing. Start relying on God on a day-to-day basis, and he will, like breadcrumbs, lead you to your destination. You won't be able to see your final destination, but he will be leading you on a day-to-day basis. That's why it's so important to have a personal relationship with Jesus and not just a relationship with Jesus when you come to church. It's a daily relationship. It's not a -a once-a-week relationship. Because God leads you on a daily basis. So then we come to to verse 6, and this is the point where the wandering will turn turn to marching. And it says, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron will gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So this is a miracle. A miracle happened right in front of their eyes. This rock produced enough water to feed the whole Israelites and their livestock. It was a miracle. And it was a miracle of God's glory. The spiritual perspective is sought out in this biblical biblical text by theologians of God's miracle from this rock that produces water, but there's a far more geological aspect than one realizes. 
biblical writers are implying an understanding of their own land and of the wilderness of southern Israel to the full understanding of the story. So southern Israel will get two to four inches of rain a year, which means they're pretty much living in a drought majority of the year, and they have to survive through that drought. So needing water in the desert is not a new concept. That's not something new. But yet people and livestock live in the desert and they survive. You may remember that Moses was asked to strike a rock in Exodus 17 to show God's provision for water. So in the first five books of the Bible, or the Torah, the word rock is described in three different ways, with three different words. One type of rock is a generic word, and that's used 88 times in the first five books of the Bible. The harder type of rock is used 17 times. And this particular type of rock is a very soft type of rock, and that's That phrase is used seven times. So in Exodus 17, it's a hard type of rock. And judging by the region that they were in, this would be a granite type of rock. So how many of you you have had granite countertops, right? It's It's a very hard type of rock. And so God asked Moses, strike this rock with your staff and water will come out of it. Because... This staff, this wooden staff, is not strong enough to break a granite rock. It's not strong enough to hit a rock and to crack open and water to come gushing out. That was a provision from God, and only God could have the glory. That's the granite type of rock. That, that happened in Exodus 17. This type of rock in Numbers 20 is a whole different story. Rainwater that gravity forced into the cracks of these types of rocks. This was a limestone type of rock. It was a very chalky substance. And so the rainwater would take this chalky substance and it would crystallize in the heat and it would create a barrier through these cracks. So rainwater would come into the cracks of these rocks and because of the crystallization of this chalkiness, it would dry the chalkiness and make a cap. Water would get stuck in the cracks of the rock, of this limestone. And so when God said to Moses, speak to the rock and water will come out, that's because God wanted the glory for the water. And what happens? Moses walks up to that rock, he yells at the Israelites, and he strikes the rock twice, stealing God's glory, because striking the rock breaks the cap and the water flowed out. Moses stole God's glory because he struck the rock twice. Do you understand that that's the reason why God said you're not going to lead them to the promised land? Because he stole God's glory. Instead of speaking to the rock like God told him to, he struck the rock twice and broke it and water gushed out. Now I want you to know it was still a miracle because there is no way there was enough water within the cracks of that rock to feed, to nourish all of the Israelites and all of the livestock. God's miracle still happened. It's like the fish and the loaves in the New Testament. There is two fish, five loaves. No way that could have fed 5,000 people. But the disciples kept breaking the bread, splitting the fish that fed everyone. It was a miracle provision, just like the water from this rock was a miracle provision. God still got the glory, but Moses, his humanness got in the way. His attitude got in the way. So what's our lesson? Don't rob God of his glory and miracles by your disbelief, your attitude, and your self-reliance. 
Don't rob God's glory because of your control. If you're successful, it's not because of your own success. It's because God allowed you to be successful. Amen. If you're healthy, it's not because of all of the choices you're making. It's because God allowed you to make those choices. Give God the credit when things are good in your life. Rely on God when things are bad in your life. Moses' emotions got the best of him and he publicly made a decision that took the glory off of God and put it on himself. And he may have been unaware what he was doing, but his heart was in the wrong place. This reminds me of Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we need to let our anxiety go and trust in God. Trust in his timing and give God the glory. Don't let impatience lead to anger that separates you from God. Don't let your emotions get in the way of belief because a breakthrough could be right around the corner. A miracle that could be just about to happen, but you just need to continue to pursue God in your own life. Give him the credit when things go right and rely on him when you are struggling. And I promise you in God's timing, he will come through for you. Amen, church. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You see, it's ironic that Moses previously says to God, show me your glory. This happens in Exodus. He says, show me your glory. And later on in this story, Moses takes God's glory in front of the people. He did not honor God. He did not show the people God's glory. But there's redemption in this story. You see, in the New Testament, when Jesus and Matthew, the transfiguration of Christ, though Moses was punished, he did not leave the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua did. He did not physically lead them into the promised land. Moses led them out of Egypt performed all of the miracles through God. He led them in the 40 years of wilderness in the hardest period of trusting in God, but he was punished not to lead them to the promise. He didn't see the promises of God by leading them in. But in Matthew 17, it says there, he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Moses made it into the promised land. He made it into the, God's grace was sufficient for Moses to make it to the promised land. Though he didn't lead them into the promised land, though there are real consequences to sin, God's grace is still sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly by weakness because Christ's power rests on me. I don't know who you are, some of you. I don't know your past. I don't know your past mistakes, but your past does not define you. Your identity isn't riled up in your past. Your identity is in Jesus Christ and your future with him. So his grace is sufficient for you today. There's nothing that you have done in your past that disqualifies you to be with the presence of Jesus in your own life. There's nothing that you have done that his grace is not sufficient for you. So you may be here today and you may be doubting God's timing. You might be saying to yourself, when God, when is this going to happen? Why God, why did this happen? Why do I still struggle? I want to remind you that God is not done 
with you. Learn through your struggle. Your breakthrough is right around, around the corner. And when breakthrough does happen, you give God the glory. When you have a higher paying job, you give God the glory. When your prodigal comes home, you give God the glory. When your marriage starts to heal, you give God the glory. When you have a healing in your body, a miraculous healing, you give God the glory because God is with you. Can we worship this morning? Can we raise our hands for a moment? Thanks for joining us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.